Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, again, good to be with you guys this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Um, if you are new with us this morning, again, thanks for being here. Uh, I'd love to get the chance to know you a little bit before you leave. Feel free to stop by and chat after the gathering. Uh, but if you are new, just for you to be aware of, uh, you are catching us on week two of a series that we call Formation. Essentially, what we do every year is that we take a month or two to do this series where we focus on a practice or a habit that has the potential to form us over time into the image of Jesus. So we are of the belief that a, a very central part of how we change over time as human beings to become more like Jesus comes from our habits. It, it comes from the things that we choose to do over and over and over again. That's a big part of how we change. And so each year, we take an opportunity to look at one particular habit and explore how that changes us to be more like Jesus. So a couple years ago, we looked at prayer. Last year, we looked at how to read the Bible. And this year, the habit that we are focusing on is the habit of rest. And we mentioned last week that maybe that feels like a weird thing to focus a lot of time on, the idea of rest, because it, it seems like rest is not really something that we should have to work at. Like it kind of just seems like it's something that we choose to do one time and that's it. But we said that to regularly experience true rest, the type of rest that Jesus talks about in Matthew 11 as being rest for our souls, that it's just a little more involved than we might be inclined to think. It, it takes a little more intentionality, in other words, because true rest, the type of rest that Jesus wants for us, it is actually a matter of modeling our entire lives after Jesus's own life. And through that, experiencing true rest. So what we're doing is spending the rest of the series trying to learn how to do just that. How to put rest into practice in a helpful way in our lives. And this morning, we're going to be doing that from this passage in Luke chapter 10. But before we get there, I want to just pose a question for us all to think on for a moment. You don't have to answer out loud, just maybe think through what the answer would be in your mind. I want to pose a question for all of us to think on. What, in your opinion, is the biggest threat to people's relationship with Jesus? What's the biggest enemy to us experiencing the life and joy that is available through a relationship with Jesus? What would you say the biggest threat is? Maybe some of us would say it's something like secularism. Maybe some of us would say it's theological liberalism, however you choose to define that. Maybe we'd say it's the attempt by some, especially here lately, to sort of merge and blend together nationalism and faith in Jesus. We saw a lot of that on display this past week. 
Maybe you'd say that's a threat. Maybe you would say it's the sexual revolution and everything about how we perceive ourselves and our identity that comes along with that. Maybe you'd say that's the biggest threat. All sorts of different answers, but what would you say that it is? What is the biggest threat to people's relationship with Jesus? Now, obviously on some level, that question is fairly subjective, or the answer to it is, right? There's not really an empirical way to say, here, this is the number one enemy or the number one threat. But I'll just tell you what a guy named Dallas Willard once said that it was. Some of you may have heard of Dallas Willard. We tend to quote him pretty often around here. He was a philosopher and Bible teacher. He followed Jesus for over five decades before he died recently in 2013. Incredibly smart guy, incredibly sharp when it came to speaking into how people follow Jesus. Here's what he once said in an attempt to kind of answer that question that we just asked. He said this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. According to Willard, hurry is the biggest enemy, the biggest threat to our relationship with Jesus. I'm not gonna lie, the first time I read that, I thought he was kidding. I, I thought he was exaggerating. I thought, I thought he was just making a really strong emphasis to get his point across. I thought he was overstating his case. It just doesn't seem like hurry is anywhere near as big of a threat to people's relationship with Jesus as the dozen other things that are out there that might be threatening our relationship to him. And yet the more I think about it, And the longer I'm a pastor, the more I walk with other people through their life as followers of Jesus, the more I understand why he said that. As a pastor, I can tell you anytime I talk to someone about their life with Jesus, let's say I ask them about how their time in the scriptures has been lately or how their prayer life is going lately or how they're doing at discipleship, contributing to other people's relationship with Jesus and helping them follow Jesus. Whenever I ask about how those things are going, if the person says that they're not going well, do you know what the number one answer for why they're not going well is? I've just got so much going on. I'm just so busy. There's just so many other things that I have to tend to. I just feel like I don't have time to slow down and spend time doing all those things on a regular basis. I just don't have the ability to to sort of block out that time in my schedule and participate in those things. There's just too much going on. There's too much other stuff I'm worried about. So I'm beginning to think that maybe Dallas Willard was onto something which if you've ever read Dallas Willard is like the most extreme understatement ever. The dude is incredibly sharp, but I think specifically with this, I think he's onto something. It is entirely possible that hurry is one of the biggest barriers to us living the type of life that we could be living with Jesus. So this morning, I want us to talk a little bit about hurry. I want us to talk about where it comes from, what causes it, and then what we can do about it, how we can unhurry our lives. So that, in many ways, is what this passage is about that we have opened in front of us. So to start off, take a look with me at Luke 10. We'll start in verse 38. It says, now as they, that's Jesus and the disciples, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village 
And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, that's a very important detail for us to remember about Mary. We're going to circle back around to that here in a little while. For now, I want us to keep moving because I want us to focus for a bit on the other character in the story. I want us to look at Martha. For more on her, keep reading with me in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. Before we keep going, I want to just point out a thing or two on what was just said. First, I feel like I need to point out that this passage is not about a problem that only some women have. I just feel like that's worth saying. Hopefully to most of us that's obvious. But I do sometimes hear people talking about this passage as if it's primarily a passage about a problem that women have. That's not what's happening here. So whenever I teach this passage, I just like to crush that subtle sexism right off the bat because I think it's worth saying this is a problem that all of us have. This story could have easily, it could have just as easily been about two brothers or two men or a man and a woman, you name it. It could have easily been about a a man that was distracted by much serving or a man that was distracted by his work emails or whatever it might be. The point is not to critique a particularly feminine problem, but rather a human problem. This is a problem that all of us are susceptible to. Two, more on that here in just a bit. But the point is, guys, you're not off the hook on this. Are you following me on that? This is for all of us. Now, the second thing I want you to notice to that same effect is that it says that Martha was serving. Quick question for us. Is serving a bad thing? No. Serving is not a bad thing at all. For followers of Jesus, it's actually a great thing. Serving in many ways should be our default posture as followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus talks about over and over again in the Gospels. So that tells me that the critique implicit in this passage is not about her serving per se. But there is a critique in it. So what is that critique? Well, if it's not serving, that tells me that it has something to do with the word distracted and it has something to do with the word much. I think that's where the problem lies. The problem with Martha is not that she was serving, it's that she was distracted by much serving. Martha was the type of person who was always consumed with what needed to get done next. I'm sure if she were around today, she would toss out phrases like, time is of the essence and the devil never takes a day off or the early bird gets the worm. She'd say things like, I'm not busy, I'm just productive. I'm just high capacity. All of those expressions that we like to throw out when it comes to our busyness. And it might be a caricature in this particular passage, but it is an extremely common experience, especially in our modern world. This mindset is. Our society tends to generate and encourage people like Martha. We celebrate them. We give them raises. We hold them up frequently as examples of what it means to be contributing members of society. This is what we think it means to be human, to live a life of constant, unceasing, over-busy activity. That is what we think it means to be a human being, which honestly explains a lot of Martha's attitude towards Mary in this passage. So take a look with me at the rest of verse 40. 
And she, Martha, went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Another frequent characteristic of people like Martha is that they tend to hold a little bit of frustration in them towards anyone that they don't think is productive as they are. They often are keenly aware of all of the people that get less done on a regular basis than they do, and they tend to look at those people with anything from pity to outright contempt. Martha says, Jesus, will you please tell Mary to make herself useful? to do something with her life, to stop being so lazy and unproductive. But take a look at Jesus' response, verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Let's just stop right there for a bit. That's the diagnosis from Jesus, that Martha is, quote, anxious and troubled about many things. So the problem isn't that she's serving, the problem isn't that she's productive, The problem is that she is so concerned with a dozen different things that she has forgotten about the things that matter most. Has anybody ever found themselves there recently? I know I have. In a word, Martha is hurried. She is anxious and troubled and preoccupied with so many different things to the neglect of the things that matter most. And hurry is something of an epidemic in the 21st century, such that psychologists and mental health professionals have given a label to this problem. They call it hurry sickness, as in a type of illness. Here's one way that they define it. Hurry sickness is a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Does anybody immediately feel just a little bit convicted like I do upon reading that definition? I think so many people experience this. For instance, think about the most common answer when you ask somebody how they're doing. What do people tend to say? They say, I'm good, I'm just what? Busy. I'm good, I'm just busy. And when most of us say that we're busy, generally what we mean is that we feel like we have more things to do than we have time to do. We mean we feel like we're running on overload to some degree. What we mean is that we feel like we're trying to keep more plates spinning than we know how to keep spinning in our life. We often mean that we are, to quote Jesus in this passage, anxious and troubled about many things at once. And again, the problem is not that we have things to do. The problem is that we have too much to do. And we feel like the only way to get them all done is to do everything in a hurry. Now, obviously, there are situations in life where we should be hurried, right? If you or your spouse go into labor and need to get to the hospital, hurry is an appropriate response to that situation, right? If there's an emergency of some sort, hurry is good and needed in that situation. If you're running late to work one day and you need to get there in time so you don't get fired for being late every day to work, hurry may be a necessary mind, mindset during that time. So there are even some seasons in life that dictate hurry. Say you just lost your job and you are hustling each and every day to apply for a new job so that you can pay the bills. Hurry might be completely necessary in that season of life. 
Maybe you just became a parent for the very first time and you're trying to figure out how to function in life during COVID while now also trying to keep an additional human being alive in your house. Hurry might be your MO for a little while. So there are situations in life and even some seasons in life where hurry is unavoidable. I'm not here to shame anybody for that type of scenario. I'm not talking about that type of hurry at all. What I'm talking about is when our default mode of existence in life is that of hurry. I'm talking about when we are in, in a hurry far more often than we're not. I'm talking about when we stay in a hurry even when we don't really have a good reason to be in a hurry. It's like that classic song by the band Alabama, which for the record is a fantastic band with a horrible name. They put it in one of their classic songs, I think back in the 90s, I'm in a hurry to get things done. I'm rushing and rushing until life's no fun. All I've really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Sometimes the spirit speaks through really bad quasi-country music from the 90s. So that's it. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about when we stay in a hurry, even when there's no valid reason to be in a hurry, it's just because it's our default mode of existence. I'm talking about when we rush through life so fast that people incur our wrath just for going a little bit slower than we feel like they need to go. I'm talking about when we are so preoccupied with so many things that people in our life start to feel like they're bothering us just by being present in our lives. That is the harmful kind of hurry. So how do we know if we struggle with hurry? How do we know if this is a part of our life that needs to be dealt with? Well, aside from those of us who are already convicted as soon as I use the word hurry, let me just give you some common symptoms of hurry or hurry sickness. These are mostly taken from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, a book that has obviously inspired large parts of this teaching. Hope you guys are ready for this. You may want to buckle up. Here are some symptoms, some common symptoms of hurry. First, irritability. Irritability. So when you're constantly in a hurry, you get very easily irritated at anyone who just takes a little bit longer doing something than they should or anyone who doesn't adhere to the same breakneck pace of life that you do. Think of Martha's attitude in our story. She says, Jesus, I'm trying to prepare all of this stuff and Mary is making it take longer because she won't help. That's, that's the mindset, irritability towards other people. Second, restlessness and workaholism. So anytime you try to slow down, take a day off, take a couple hours off, whatever it may be, it feels like you just can't do it. You feel lazy and unproductive because you're not achieving something. You need a 10 item to-do list of things to accomplish on your day off of work. You, you read scripture, but you find it boring and unproductive to do so. You, you tend to do things like watching TV while checking your phone, while folding laundry, while checking Twitter for the news. Chronic multitasking, one, one mental health professional said hurry sickness is when you multitask to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. Anybody ever been there? So, so restlessness and workaholism, you don't know how to just stop and just be. Next, emotional numbness. So when you're constantly in a hurry, when this is your default mode of existence, you start to lose the capacity to regularly empathize with other people 
or even empathize with your own pain and disappointments in life, caring for other people becomes more and more difficult because if you were completely honest, it just feels like it takes too long and takes too much effort to do. Next, a lack of care for your body. So when you're constantly in a hurry, you often don't get around to the basics of physical health, eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, moderately healthy diet. You you gain weight rapidly in unhealthy ways. You get sick several times a year. You, You primarily live off of some combination of caffeine, sugar, processed food, and alcohol. Next, escapist behaviors. So the rare moments in your life that seem restful to you are actually just distractions and entertainment. So overeating, overdrinking, Netflix, hours upon hours of social media, surfing the internet, pornography, whatever it is. The, the inclination when you're constantly hurried all of the time is that in your time off of work or school, you do more escaping than you do truly resting. Next, the absence of spiritual disciplines. So ironically, when we are over busy and over tired, we just don't have the energy to do what we need the most, which is spend time in the scriptures, pray, rest, set aside time to regularly interact with and listen to the spirit. It's easy to to just let those things fall by the wayside because we feel like we don't have enough time to do them. Every moment we feel like is a moment where we could be getting something done, could be accomplishing a task. And if we're honest, a lot of the times, spiritual disciplines just don't feel that productive to us. Lastly, isolation. Hurry makes us quick to feel disconnected from God and others and even sometimes ourselves. When you're constantly in a hurry, even when you do pray, it, it feels more like you're trying to pray while being distracted by the 10 things you need to get done before noon. Even when you hang out with friends, if you can find the time to do that, you're not fully present with them because while you're hanging out with them, you're thinking of all the things that you could be getting done instead of hanging out with them. So those are just some symptoms. And again, with, with all of those, uh, those things being present in your life doesn't necessarily mean that they're there because of hurry. It, but I would say if you're going through that list and you're like, man, more of these describe me than don't describe me, I think you may want to consider if hurry is a problem in your life. So not to state it too strongly, but I'm pretty sure a large portion of us, maybe even most of us, struggle with hurry or at least have at different points in our life. And just to be clear, that very much includes me. I'll be honest with you guys and tell you that one of the reasons that I wanted to do this teaching and this entire series is because I personally desperately need to hear it. I am a self-diagnosed hurry addict. I thought about saying I was a speed addict, but I felt like that might come across wrong. So I said hurry, hopefully that's clear. But part of the reason I wanted to do this teaching is because I desperately need to hear it. So I am a type A, fairly driven person. I'm an Enneagram One, if you know what that is, which basically means I'm a perfectionist. They they call it a reformer, but really that's just a nicer way to say perfectionist. So in my mind, there is never a shortage of things to get done. There's never a shortage of things to improve upon. I'm an exhausting person to be around. You can ask my wife about that. I can be an exhausting person to be around. 
because I'm always in a hurry. I'm always wanting to get something else done. I'm always wanting to improve on something. I frequently look like Martha in the story, frustrated and irritable at anyone who I feel like doesn't move at the pace of life that I want them to. Candidly, some of the ugliest, most sinful moments in my life are times when I have been too in a hurry to love people well. Because I don't know if you've thought about this, but hurry and loving people are incompatible with one another. You cannot love people well if they feel like you are always in a hurry around them. So all of that to say, there are times where I, as your pastor, get to teach out of my strengths, where I get to go, hey, here's something the Lord taught me in my life a couple months ago or a couple years ago or whatever, and now I want to lead you guys through it and show you guys how good it can be. This is not one of those series for me. This series is one of those where I am still in the weeds of rooting this stuff out of my life and dealing with it, and I just wanted to bring you guys along for the ride. I hope that's okay. I just didn't want to be the only one getting convicted about things. Is that okay with you guys? So this is something that I desperately need in my own life, and I know some of you guys do too, just from conversations that I've had with so many of you. I know this is something that a lot of us could stand to work on in our day-to-day lives. But all of that said, I want us to just talk for a bit about why hurry is harmful at a spiritual level. Because it's not just that hurry makes us less pleasant people and makes life less pleasant for us and other people. As we've said already, it's actually that hurry in many ways prohibits a life of genuine discipleship to Jesus. So I want to just spend a few minutes unpacking why I say that. So for this, I'm just going to read some quotes from people a lot smarter than me. I tried to figure out a better way of saying it, and then I was like, why would I do that? I can just read you guys what smarter people say. So this first quote is from a guy named Michael Zigarelli. He's a former professor at Charleston Southern University School of Business. He actually did some research on all of this, the idea of hurry and a number of other related problems. Here was some of the conclusions of his research. He says, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. Do you guys see those connections that he's drawing? As I read through it, I thought to myself, yes, this is exactly what happens in my life and the life of other people when it goes unchecked. John Ortberg, a pastor out in California, he summarizes it like this. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And then the Catholic writer Ronald Rollheiser for The Kill, here's what he says. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. What a sentence. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too occupied, too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. 
We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life that they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. If I could just do a quick mashup of those three different quotes into one idea, it would be something like this. For a lot of us, hurry is the primary thing keeping us from a more vibrant relationship with Jesus. A life of constant hurry is incompatible with discipleship to Jesus. You cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. Which brings us full circle back to Mary and Martha in the passage. Martha, who is anxious and troubled and hurried about many things, comes to Jesus and wants him to rebuke Mary for not helping out. And when she does, she gets something very unexpected from Jesus. Take a look back with me at the passage. Read verses 41 and 42 again with me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So what is the one necessary thing? What was the thing that that Mary was doing and that Martha should have been doing in the passage? Well, if you look back at the text, it's actually pretty simple. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching. Sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. Sitting with Jesus, listening to Jesus. That, according to Jesus, is the necessary thing to do. And not only is it the necessary thing, I would argue it is actually the one primary antidote to a hurried life for each one of us. Through the years, followers of Jesus have called this practice a number of different things. Some have called it silence and solitude. Some call it a quiet time, which is by far the most youth groupy name for it, but quiet time. Others call it contemplative prayer or listening prayer. I honestly could care less what we call it. I care more about what we do during that time. Namely, that we find a quiet spot in our lives, distance ourselves as much as we can from noise and task and to-do lists, and just take time to sit and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the goal. That's the solution to an unhurried life, to an overhurried life, excuse me. The reason that we must find space to do that, and this is so important for us to realize, if we want to get behind what hurry is and why hurry exists in our lives, we have to understand this next part. Hurry is never just a logistical problem. It's never just a logistical problem if it's a lifestyle of hurry. It is never just an issue of how many things we have to get done and how little time we have to do them. Think about this. Jesus had plenty of things to get done, plenty of things to get done that only he could get done, and he was only alive in the flesh on earth for 33 years, and yet he was never once hurried. The reason we live hurried lives is because we are actually seeking something from the hurry itself. There is something that our souls need that we think we can find through hurry. Often, I think it's significance. 
importance, value, worth, desirability. We often functionally believe, even if it's subconscious, that if we are constantly in a hurry, that must mean that we matter. It must mean that we're ma- we matter. If we are constantly busy all of the time, that must mean that we are important. If our schedule is overloaded, that must mean that we are valuable. We're in demand, we're desired. That's what all of us are after. And the reality is, in Jesus, all of those things are already true of us. We do matter, we are valuable, we are significant, we are wanted. But in the kingdom of Jesus, we do not have to run ourselves into the ground to know that those things are true. In the kingdom of Jesus, those things are already true of us regardless of how much we do or don't get done. One of the most liberating truths for followers of Jesus is that our worth and our activity have absolutely nothing to do with each other. For followers of Jesus, our worth, our value were locked in. They were set in stone the moment that Jesus died for us on the cross. And so any scrambling, any striving to try to establish a significance on our own for ourselves is simply wasted effort. It's an attempt to secure for ourselves what has already been secured for us through the cross. And that is precisely why the only real antidote to an overhurried life is to find time to sit with Jesus, like Mary in the story, because it's only there that we can clearly hear him saying, hear him speak and proclaim over us our identity. It's there that we can hear the Spirit say to us, you matter, but not because of how productive you are. Not because of how efficient you are. Not because of how busy you are. You matter, Jesus says, because of who I am and who I have made you to be. Because I have established your identity, your worth, your value already. Jesus says you matter because you're my son, you're my daughter, you are made in my image, and you have been ransomed by my blood. To win the war against busyness and hurry, we need to create space in our life to hear him proclaim over us who we are apart from what we do or don't get done. That's what we need. That's how to win the war against hurry. And we might all say that we already believe those things about us. We already believe, we already know that we're valuable, that we're valued, that we're desired, that we have worth. We might say, yeah, I already know those things about myself. But listen, when we never slow down, we start to functionally forget it. Because every single moment, long or short, that we take to slow down, to unhurry and to be with Jesus, is an opportunity for him to speak those things into our lives. And as we internalize those realities about us more and more through the power of the Spirit, we realize that we don't actually need what constant hurry offers us. We don't need it. We realize that we already possess in Jesus all of the things that constant activity promises to us and can't deliver. Author John Kessler says it this way in his book on rest. He says, silence and solitude are countermeasures for a world that tries to persuade us that our worth is measured by our usefulness. 
Those experiences, these experiences of silence and solitude remind us that we have intrinsic value to God. We do not have to produce to be loved and accepted by him. Now, doing this, creating space in your life for silence and solitude, it, it might look a number of different ways for you, depending on your life, stage in life, depending on your life situation. For some of you, there might be very little right now keeping you from taking an hour or two at least each day to do this. Maybe you're single or you're married with no kids. Maybe your job is not all that demanding. And maybe all it would take for you is just waking up a little bit earlier or blocking out some time when you get home from work or school. Maybe for some of us, it would just take cutting back by about an hour on Netflix, potentially, just hypothetically. And I know some people watch Netflix. So for some of us, it may not take very much work at all. It, it might be pretty easy and accessible for us to just decide to block out some time for this to happen on a regular basis. For others of us, it's going to take a little more work and creativity. Maybe you work a demanding job, and so for you, it looks more like a 30-minute chunk of time here and a really solid, solid Sabbath once a week. Maybe, that, maybe that's all it can be right now, and I want you to know that's okay. Maybe you have small kids like I do, and they seem to need you at what feels like every waking moment of the day. And so for you, maybe it looks like piecing together 10 minutes here, five minutes here, 20 minutes when they go down for a nap, whatever it might be. Maybe it takes some creativity for you. Maybe if you parent along with somebody else, maybe it looks like, you know, one of you watches the kids in the morning so the other person can have some quiet and then you reverse that at the end of the day when, when somebody gets home from work or whatever the case might be. Maybe it looks like trading off, something like that. There's a lot of different solutions for it. I, I want you to know that it, it, there's not one particular way it has to look. One of the most freeing things, I think, is that the Bible does not prescribe a certain amount of time or certain frequency or length of time for any of this. It can look different pending your age and stage of life and season of life and schedule. It can be in the morning, it can be in the afternoon, it can be in the evening, it can be one chunk of time per day or several small chunks of time throughout the day. It can be all sorts of different things. It can look all sorts of different ways. But listen, one thing it cannot be is optional. One thing it cannot be is optional. The one thing it cannot be is, yeah, when I get around to it. It cannot be, yeah, one day when I figure out how to work it in, I will. Remember Jesus' words to Martha in the passage. He says that sitting and being with him is, quote, necessary. It is necessary to find time in your day to press pause on productivity and to just be with Jesus because it's the only way that we discover and remember who we really are and learn to rest in his affections for each of us. I think of Jesus' words in John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I can't help but think that the reason many of us feel like we're withering away is because we have chosen a life of constant activity instead of a life of constantly abiding with Jesus. 
So the invitation today with the cross before us, with the spirit within each of us, is to begin reversing that decision. And can I just tell you what I've learned so far in the little bit of time that I've tried to start implementing these patterns into my life, it is so worth anything you have to lose. It is so worth anything you have to give up. So practically speaking, as we conclude, a a lot of the practices that we'll focus on during the course of this series are designed to help unhurry our life. But I want to just highlight two of them this morning that I think especially relate to what we're talking about today. So we mentioned last week that we were putting out a PDF practice guide. It's a PDF on our website. Super easy to get to. You can just go to citychurchsnox.com and find it there. In that practice guide, the first two practices that you will find are silence and solitude and unhurrying prayer. Silence and solitude, unhurrying prayer. Quick word on each before we're done. First, silence and solitude. So this is basically what we've been talking about so far this morning. Carving out a period of time or several small chunks of time throughout the day to just sit and be with Jesus. So in the practice guide, what you'll find are a few practical tips to help set you up for success in practicing silence and solitude. So it's just things like maybe leave your phone and devices in another room. Things like using journaling to write down what you feel like you're hearing from God. Take time to jot down the things that you think the Spirit is speaking to you. Now, I will say journaling is also really helpful because after you jot down the things you feel like the Spirit is speaking to you, you can then spend time in the Scriptures, seeing if those things jive with the things that the Scriptures clearly teach. I think that's a really important step because remember, the Holy Spirit is never going to say things to you that run contrary to the things revealed in the scriptures. So there may be something that you feel like you're hearing, but if the scriptures don't seem to affirm that or, or even outright contradict that, you can go, okay, maybe that was just something that was coming from you know, my own spirit. Maybe that was just something that I was hearing that's something that I've mixed up with my own desires, my own longings, something like that. Another thing that I think can be super helpful in this is to afterwards take the things that you've jotted down that you feel like God is speaking to you and run it by other followers of Jesus in your life or your life group. They obviously have the spirit living within them too. So so take them the things that you jotted down and go, hey, here's what I feel like I'm hearing from God. What are y'all's thoughts on that? Yes, no, yes, but you may also want to consider this thing or this idea or whatever it is. This is one of the many ways that having spirit-filled community in your life is so vital because it's a place just like the scriptures where the Holy Spirit can confirm or correct what we feel like we are hearing from God in our individual lives. So feel free to take advantage of either of those practices. So find some time this week to practice silence and solitude. I'll go ahead and tell you, just honestly, I'll probably say this a lot in this series. The first time that you practice something like this, or even the first handful of times that you practice something like this, it's probably not going to immediately change your life. Okay, I just want to set expectations for that. It might even be really difficult to practice these things at first because we are so used to constant activity and constant noise and constant accomplishing in our lives. It may even be really challenging for you. 
But I can tell you that if you stick with this stuff over a longer period of time, if you make it a pattern in your life that you don't often depart from, God will use it to change the pace of life that you run at, to more align your pace of life with his. The second practice that can be helpful, and this one will be quick, is what we call unhurrying prayer. So silence of solitude is more of a proactive practice. It's something that you do on a regular basis no matter what happens. The unhurrying prayer, I would say, is more of a reactive prayer. It's more of a reactive practice. So the goal with this prayer is to pray it anytime you feel yourself getting hurried or overwhelmed. Some of you are like, I'm going to pray this prayer every five minutes throughout the day. That's great. That's what it's for, right? So anytime you feel yourself, your anxiety level rising at how many things you have to get done or how little time you have to do them, that's a perfect time to just take a few seconds and pray this prayer. When you're grabbing lunch with, or dinner with a friend and your mind is just consumed with all the things you could be getting done and you're getting more and more hurried thinking about it, it's a great time to pray this prayer. When you open your work email tomorrow morning and you find 15 unread emails and seven of them are problems that have to be solved by noon, that's a great time to take a few seconds to pray this prayer. So I think it helps to take a deep breath and then pray these words or something that loosely resembles them. Father... I am concerned with many things right now, but only one thing is necessary. Help me to remember that my worth is not in what or how much I accomplish. It's not even in how busy I am, but rather in what you have done for me. Amen. I wonder what would happen if we made a habit of praying that every time we started to feel hurried. I wonder the difference it would make in our souls. I wonder the difference it would make in our interactions with other people, followers of Jesus or not. I wonder how much we would start to resemble the spirit of Jesus in our day-to-day interactions. And again, with this, praying those words one or two times is probably not going to magically fix all the anxiety and hurry in your soul. But I would bet that if you made a habit of praying that prayer each time you felt hurried, over time, it would have an impact. It would have a lasting impact. And remember, finally, like we said last week, that's the goal with this entire series. Everything we've been talking about, the whole idea and concept behind this series is that our habits practiced over and over again over the long haul have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to form us more and more into the image of Jesus. That's what we're after. They may feel awkward at first. They may feel really difficult at first. But over weeks and months and years of putting these lifestyles into practice, they will make you more like the God that we worship. So that's our prayer. Once again this week, that's what we want to invite you into this week, is asking the Spirit to use these practices to change us into his image. So let me pray for us, then we'll spend some time celebrating Jesus together. Father, um, it's not easy to slow down in our world. Hopefully we can acknowledge that. Just more and more, um, our world doesn't just inherently run at a pace that is friendly to spiritual intimacy or spiritual vibrancy with you. It doesn't even run at a pace that lends itself to meaningful, deep relationships with others. 
And so, God, we just want to acknowledge that to, to become unhurried people, to become people that slow down and walk at the pace of life that you have for us is, is going to feel at times like swimming upstream. We're going to encounter resistance internally, externally, all of that. But God, we know that the spirit living with us, within us has given us the ability to go against the grain, to structure our lives in a way that's different and better than the pattern of the world around us. And so God, we just wanna ask you for strength and endurance for that process. God, I wanna ask that you would make those of us in this room that just feel constantly hurried, that you would help us to rest in the reality of who we are, in the reality of what you accomplished on the cross, what that means for how we see ourselves. And God, through that, would you give us the ability to take a breath and slow down? God, I pray that we would, um, that we would follow up with one another, that we would check in with one another, that we could ask for ways if there's people in this room right now that are, are hurried because they're in a season of life that demands hurry and there's just no way around it. God, my prayer is that you would set them in communities that are asking the question, hey, what can we do? What can we take off of your plate? What can we accomplish for you so that you can have some space to slow down and breathe? God, that's what the church is for. And so God, maybe some of us this week that, that aren't all that hurried, that don't feel like we have too much to do, maybe the question for us to ask as we gather with our life groups this week is, hey, you feel like you've got a lot on your plate right now. What can I do? Tell me something I can do, whether it's a daily basis, weekly basis. What can I do so that you have time to sit and be with Jesus and listen to the voice of the Spirit? And God, for, for others of us in the room that are very, very hurried and have way too much on our plate and we're hurried because we have to be, would you give us the humility to ask for that help? To say, hey, I don't really know how I could slow down right now. Could you help me? And so God, there's uh, all kinds of conversations that probably need to happen. There's all sorts of deep work in our souls that we need to dig out some of the ways that we've built an identity on productivity. I know that's true for me. Our world just preaches to us that you are how much you can accomplish, that you are your efficiency, that you are your productivity, and God, we reject that. God, we're valuable, we're worthy, we're we're important, we're significant because we're your kids, not because of how much we get done. So God, would you help all of these realities to sink in? Would you help us to, out of that, put these things into practice so that we can become the type of people that, like Mary, sit at your feet and listen to what you have for us? That's what we want. Would you even begin that now? We've got some time, we've got some space before we get out of here this morning for that to happen. So God, would you help us to sit and be with you? Would you help us to stand and celebrate who you are? Whatever it needs to be, would you give us the opportunity, even this morning, to take advantage of the time we've got to be with you? That is the most important, the most necessary thing. 
So God, would you give us the, the desire to do that, to structure our lives around that? We ask this in your name. Amen.